You're listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. Yes, you're listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. I'm Tim Bronero. Well, MEU organisers from around the country converged on Sydney this week to plan for 2024. They flew in from Queensland, from the Pilbara, from Broken Hill, from all over. And I thought you'd like to hear how their year has been. My name is uh, Buff Staker. I'm the lead organiser for the uh, Mining and Energy Union Organising Division in Queensland. Yeah, I have uh, an overriding responsibility to mentor and guide the other organisers through all the campaigns that we're doing in Queensland at any one time. So you're a very experienced organiser and you mentor and help other organisers you know, at their work sites? That's correct, yes. Tell us about some of the issues that made up 2023 this year. A lot of our time this year was around um, the BHP Ops services because during that period of time we've been going through a um, negotiation of an agreement which has been going on for some years now and we've uh, had the opportunity this year as the the workers grew uh, during that campaign we had the opportunity to uh, get a no vote up initially uh, then we went into a a protected action ballot and uh, it was very uh, satisfying to me to see that uh, people grow during that period. There were people there who were intimidated uh, by the employer and by the supervisors and to see them stand up and walk out the gate for four hours and cheer and carry on, um, it was satisfying to me. They, they actually grew from that activity and through that experience. So as a result of that, they got a true union experience. And it's fair to say that these workers would be a little bit younger than people who've got you know BHP shirts directly and not have as much industrial experience? Oh that is absolutely true they um, a lot of the BHP OS employees are uh, new clean skins to the industry they come from varying backgrounds uh, you know and there's uh, quite a significant number of them that are doing external studies such as university and that sort of stuff and uh, seven on seven off 12 hour shift suits them to be able to do that so the taking of protected action was fairly unique for them. You know how has this year been have you had success growing membership and density or success with particular EAs or clauses within EAs or have you got any tips or tricks for us for, for people who are union activists who want to roll some of your stuff out? A lot of our role is about educating people and, and uh, taking them through the process and developing networks, etc. The increasing of density is the ultimate outcome of what we do. It's not where we start from. So during this year, we've been able to grow um, the density in Queensland significantly, uh, particularly across uh, BHBOS uh, campaigns. But also outside of that, we've been able to unionise and form a lodge at Carmichael Mine, which is the Adani... Uh, it's now called Bravis, um, for people that don't know there was a name change, um, which was, uh, and that's a very remote site. And in fact, it's one of the sites, uh, first site that we've actually had to exercise our rights under the Act for remote accommodation uh, for us to be able to organise it. We've never had that in the history of the organisation, so that was fairly unique for us. And those people came on board, um, got a decent EA out of it and um, have now formed themselves into a lodge so that they become part of the working organisation. They attend boards and, and conventions and such, so it's a, a wonderful outcome. Um, we've also had success with Poitral Mine, where previously there was no lodge. Poitral was previously uh, BMC and has now been taken over by Stanmore, and we've been able to uh, increase the density there, 
get a decent EA in place and to set up a lodge. So they've been fairly successful for this year for us. Todd Ferguson, I uh, deal with Perillo Mine and Rasp Mine and Essential Energy in Broken Hill, New South Wales. Can you just um, tell us about some of those work sites? Because obviously working in Broken Hill, it's metalliferous mining, which is quite different to a lot of the other members who work in black coal or coal. Can you tell us maybe a little bit of the history of Broken Hill? Yeah, a little bit of the history of Broken Hill. It's a very strong union town. It's always had uh, great union beliefs and union backing used to have the Barrier Industrial Council. Well, it still does have the Barrier Industrial Council, which is an organisation that uh, all unions sort of sit around the same table and, and work collectively towards the common good of the, of the town and, and its members. And I think the local unions still own the town newspaper, which is a pretty unique... Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, still own the Barrier Daily Truth, which comes out twice a week. A lot of organisers like that. If they had a, the local paper was run by the union, that'd be helpful. That's it. it. Tends to get the message across. And it's it's zinc, lead, and silver they mine, and it goes down a railway down to Port Pirie in South Australia, which must be a very old piece of infrastructure. We call it these days. Yeah, a lot of development going around. New mines kicking off with cobalt blue. They have um, in the development stage at the moment, waiting for approval to to fully fledge up ramp up into an operational mine. They've done the pre-development of it, just waiting on the tick and flick from the uh, the companies and those stakeholders involved. So that's another positive for the town going around. More jobs, up to 400 jobs once that fires up. So, Someone told me that a lot of what they're doing in Broken Hill now with those, those silver, lead and zinc workings is going back through some of the material they've already... So it's not all mining fresh not not uh, all virgin ground it's a remnant mine so they're going back through the old workings uh, with the increase of technology they can go back into the old tailings the dirt they've re-put back into the mine after they've processed it and extract more more uh, product out of that at a better level with modern technology so it uh, increases the life of the mine with their existing mining existing uh, ore bodies you, you did have a rough patch only a month or so ago, though, with the closure of the Rasp mine? Yes, it's been announced that uh, they're transitioning to closure. They've um, still got a fair bit of life left in them, but the company that owns them have decided not to, to invest further in that project, so they're actively seeking a buyer. Hopefully that comes through, but the 200 people that work there are on limited time. Um, as they transition to closure, there'll be redundancies unless a buyer's sought. So that'll have a big impact to the town and, and you know, the workforce associated. I believe that you were very proactive, though, and you immediately went down to Cobar down the road in relative terms <laughs> um, because there's obviously a lot of metalliferous mining down there and got some people from there to come up and have a yak to your members in terms of what work opportunities might be down in Cobar for them. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we reached out once the... the the notice was made from um, the RASP mine. We reached out as a union to our connections with other unions and personal and professional connections at those mines. Uh, let them know that there's a very talented pool of people in Broken Hill that'll be looking for, for work elsewhere. A Cobar's only five hours down the road, so it's not that far to drive. Um, yeah, and they were, the CSA, one of the companies was very good. They came to Broken Hill, did a two day recruitment drive. So that's um, you know, reinforcing that there's a skill shortage out there. There are mines looking for people. And as a union, we, we 
made that connection and bridged that gap and hopefully our members and the workforce in Broken Hill will retain employment. And, and that's copper in Cobar? Copper, yes. And is it a similar process in terms of... Similar milk? process, yeah. It's just the um, how they actually put it through the mill will be different because they're extracting a different product. But yeah, the mining techniques are the same, drill, blast process. So. Do you have any tips or tricks for union activists um, out there that you might have picked up or, or honed this year? Yeah, yeah. It's um, face-to-face really works. You know, it's conversations are always good, you know. Um, living in a town like Broken Hill, it's, you know, 17,000 people. It's not too hard to catch up with someone, uh, you know, at a, at a pub or on site or at the shops. You know, you'll always run into someone and have that, that connection and that, that face-to-face conversation that really seems to work as opposed to a, a phone call or an email. That personal connection really, really helps maintain that, that relationship. You got any funny stories or interesting events from this year? Oh, interesting events is with the mine closure. That's made us very busy, but uh, you know, just the, you know, the, the camaraderie that does come with these sort of turbulent times. You know, a town like Broken Hill does gather around. You know, it's not just one mine closing, it affects the whole community, and that's really good. The, the spirit that's shown and the support network. You know, people from other mines feel for those people losing their jobs. So it's, uh, it's not a funny story, but it's a real uh, feel good story that, that the way the community does bond together when times are tough. My name is Les Schaefe. Uh, I'm an organiser for the South Western District of New South Wales. Uh, my work sites that I organise are broad and vast from the Illawarra Basin right through to Mudgee. Um, so some of those cover your Tarmors, your Appen, uh, Dendrobian, Russell Vale, out through the Lithgow area, which is Airlie, uh, Clarence, Springvale, and then you've got all your Mudgee sites, which is Wilpenjong. Uh, the 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 Malabin complex and the Yulin complex. Can you tell us about some of the issues you face this year at some of those work sites? We're currently organising around uh, EAs at Russellvale. Um, on the actual sites that we're organising in in the southern districts is our contractor base on at, at the likes of Tarmore and Appen. Um, around EAs, so and that's where we've had most of our success this year with, with contractors and the EAs. You know, you mentioned there that you have such a massive geographical area and so many different mine sites. Presumably, the different mines have quite different flavours industrially. So what I mean by that is um, some might be quite hostile to unions, some might work really well and see the opportunity to have a great harmonious you know, work site, working together with everyone. Um, can you sort of give us a bit of a sense of the different employers that are there and some of the different challenges? Some of our, our sites at like Lithgow in the Centennial Mines um, aren't too problematic to deal with. Once we start reaching out into the Mudgee region where we've got our Peabody's and our Glencores and our Yankols are a bit harder and a little bit more hostile to deal with, but they're, they're the challenges that we just try and work through daily. Are there any you know work sites where you know you've had some good um, growth in density or you've had some interesting uh, you know even little mini victories this year some of the sometimes some of the victories we've had this year and and an increase in densities would definitely be with some of our contractors down south um, so 
our CH4 drilling contractors down south. Um, we done an EA with those guys, um, successfully ran a, a parbo vote. Um, those guys took action and got a really good deal. Uh, we're in the throes of doing one with R-Star at the moment as well, um, and we're getting some good results with those guys. And uh, Russell Vale or Wollongong Resources, who we're dealing with there, uh, we're about to um, put them into a um, notice of bargaining with a, a majority support document for those guys. It's been a long year, and it's not all hard work. You got any funny stories or interesting things that happened to you on the road, maybe, uh, as you travel around this huge geographic district you got? One of the highlights for me this year would be our CH4 campaign and just the solidarity of those guys and the way that workforce came together and um, the, mem the union density there just grew dramatically. And just having those guys involved in, in a protected action ballot and then them turning up to their meeting and meeting with us at the district office on their first day of protected action, um, yeah, that, that's stuff like that's really cool. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah, Warren Johncock, I organised the train drivers in the Pilbara region of Australia and also the train controllers uh, who are based out of Perth. Um, I've been in the role now for coming up three years as, as the uh, rail organiser for the Mining Energy Union. And you're dealing with Rio Tinto up there, you're dealing with BHP? FMG and Roy Hill. Uh, yeah, the, so the current scenario is that we're in negotiations with BHP. They've been ongoing now for two years. Uh, we're also negotiating with the Rio Tinto for an agreement for their uh, train drivers as well, and that's been approximately seven months. Um, so they're in full swing. Uh, those, those negotiations are going reasonably well. The BHP negotiations have got to a point where our membership decided that they wanted to take protected action. We got a good, a good uh, result on the, the Pabo vote. Um, we currently have uh, had a bit of a reset in regards to our process to pursue the agreement with BHP. With BHP being their typical arrogant selves where they've said that they believe they can get the agreement up as it is. We disagree with that. Uh, BHP is long overdue for another agreement with its drivers. Tim, the last agreement uh, ran out in, expired in 2018. Uh, we... we spoke to the company on a number of occasions they wouldn't come to the table we're required to run an MSD majority majority support determination which we did uh, got a good result and BHP came to the table it's worth mentioning that um, workers on these sites really did it tough over COVID because some of them got stuck um, in Western Australia what, what I mean by that is their families are on the east coast or in Queensland whatever or they got stuck on the other side of the, of the quarantine line on the east coast and couldn't earn had to choose through their leave um, so so you know there's, there's a whole lot of issues there around rostering and Tim you're right on the money uh, right now we've been uh, with the BHP agreement we've been able to achieve our three top major claims well, one that still sits outside and we haven't been able to get an agreement on with BHP is the ability for BHP to force their drivers to work what we call overtime rosters. Through COVID, BHP introduced uh, rosters that were for fly and fly out drivers who work at normally a two and two roster. Uh, they were forced onto two and one, so from a 42 hour week to a 56 hour week. So for somebody that lives in you know, Wollongong or in Melbourne, uh, in real terms, they, they would end up with about five days at home per swing. 
BHP have um, still have people that are signing up to do those rosters and they've got them in place to up to October next year. Well, listen, good luck with your negotiations, which are on foot right now. I know that you've got an incredible history in the industry and you've, ha- you've worn a number of different hats, which, probably, which is probably why you're such a potent weapon when it comes to negotiating, because you know this industry from every which way, and you might remind us of that. And when you're doing that, can you tell us uh, if you had any um, good stories or any interesting events from this year? Oh, certainly, Tim. Uh, look, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to drive trains for BHP for a long period of time, and I was able to drive... Uh, the 336 car, six loco trains that they ran for a while. Um, they were they were approximately four and a half kilometres long. Um, you know, they, they, they was that was certainly challenging, and uh, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, I then got into the safety space at BHP, and uh, and they decided they didn't need me anymore, which was probably one of the highlights of my life. Um, I've uh, I then moved into. Uh, into working for the National Rail Regulator for eight years. And that certainly set us up for the future because right over the last three years, we've been focusing heavily on the industrial side of uh, getting these organisations back to have structures in place internally that, to deal with the matters. But there's so many safety issues across the rail operations up there that we'll be pressing the regulator uh, soon to ensure that they do what they're supposed to do because in real terms, they, uh, they just don't do it. But yeah, the highlight, the highlight for me this year, Tim, has been the fact that uh, HR manager for BHP, who had uh, been in place for 24 years, was around and one of the architects of the implementation of the workplace agreements. Um, he up and de- he decided to retire at the age of 48. Um, it was a fantastic day for me and for the BHP members. Um, removing people like him that have such a bad attitude and an arrogant attitude has certainly been the highlight for me this year. Yeah, g'day, my name's Alistair. I'm one of the Western Mine Workers organisers in the Pilbara in Western Australia. Uh, predominantly based in Tom Price, but look after quite a few of the Rio Tinto sites in the Pilbara. Um, uh, Parabadu, Tom Price, uh, Greater Brockman, mainly, oh yeah, pretty much all the all the main sites with Rio Tinto. Um, yeah, Nicholas Price. Um, yeah, so I organise again uh, out of the Pilbara as well, uh, based around Newman. Uh, essentially, the BHP sites, so all their iron ore sites up in the north there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the issues that you're dealing with at those sites? Issues vary from yeah. That's one of the most exciting parts of the job, to be honest with you. Um, it varies from small things such as, you know, why can't they, someone put my lock on the locker, all the way up to, to terminations and, and discipline issues. It's always the discipline ones that are a little bit uh, tougher to deal with. You know, you do get uh, a lot of members who are simply in distress, who simply don't understand the process, who don't have access to the policies that it's in relation to. And essentially, to put a word to it, they're freaking out. So, you know, you get the other ones, which are, of course, uh, a little bit more experienced, but, but guiding them through that, that meeting process, what to expect, um, you know, the preliminaries and things like that. So, yeah, really varied uh, issues pop up. Can you touch on that? Just, I just wouldn't want to add to Nick's, what, Nick's, because what a lot of people don't understand is where we are based, there's a lot of residential roles as, long as, we, as well as fly and fly out roles. So there's a heap of issues that come along with that as well in regards to accommodation in those regional towns and the lack of support. 
lack of services, um, lack of care, um, a schooling, uh, so it does affect a lot of the community as well. Um, different issues for residential compared to different issues for fly and fly out workers, such as your, your flight times are not being readily available, being delayed, um, camp accommodation, um, quality of the camps as well is a big issue up there as well. The business of organising, any tips or tricks for union activists out there? Look, there's lots of little tips and tricks. They become second nature. Uh, the first one is simple rapport, and and you know it's not all about business. This this is where they live. This is their lives. You need to actually kind of you know get onto that level before they open up and, and discuss those issues. So they need to realise that yeah, you're the union, but you're also just a person as well. Um, and then and then go from there. You always want to pull out the, the bigger guns, I guess you can say, in regards to this is how it should be and so forth. But you need them to direct you in, in that regards, really. Yeah, well, Todd Hardy's my name. I work in the Northern District as an organiser. The main focus I did this year was um, with Program Skilled. Program Skilled is a labour hire company. They've got about a 1,000 workers up in our uh, district seven different mine sites and five different employers lots of trainees lots of new to industry lots of people that haven't been exposed to unions before that's really interesting because a lot of the people we've spoken to today have particular sites you know they deal with the employers but this sounds like a little bit more of a complex jobby because you've got you know you've got a, a labor hire firm that's operating across different employers and this seems to tie in directly to the same job same pay or the closing the loophole stuff that Tony Burke's trying to get through the federal parliament with Anthony Albanese, he's made. Yeah, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Tim. That's exactly what it is. Uh, they don't pay any of the people on the different sites the same, which is exactly the government's argument that um, it's just not fair. Why should someone work for the same same employer, even even though it is labour hire, and still get different? We we sort of had a focus on program skilled this year because we knew their enterprise agreement expired earlier in the year and we would have a chance of negotiating with the company and trying to improve the conditions and the money that they get at the moment. They put out a couple of substandard offers. Um, we had a log of claims and successfully we um, convinced the employees that it wasn't good enough. So it's, it's been back to the table twice now to continue negotiations and um, the company will have to have another agreement and hopefully improve on what they've got at the moment. If that legislation passes, that closing the loopholes, will it make your job a lot easier? Oh, look, I don't know that it makes my job easier is probably not the right way to put it because we just won't organise labour hire people if they're not around. We'll organise people who are employed by the mines. So organising won't end. Uh, it'll just make it a lot easier because we shouldn't be arguing in this day and age that people get paid different on mine sites. It just doesn't sit right with us with our industry. I think people who listen to this podcast are well across that particular issue and it'll be, if Tony Burke can get it through with the help of some of those crossbenchers, your Lambies, your Pococks, your Thorpes, I think that'll be a great, you know, uh, that'll be a great thing. Um, look, I wanted to ask you about tips or tricks. There are a lot of union activists and people who are very interested in the union, passionate about the union who listen to this podcast. You got anything for us, you know, maybe like a way of starting a conversation with a member or someone who's not a member and encouraging them to be a member or anything that people can roll out in their workplace? Uh, look, it, it, it's sort of a bit of a natural ability, I think. I, I spend a bit of time as a delegate and talking to people becomes sort of when you just run into them. But the guys I talk to on the job, it's not 
me as the organiser that convinces them to join or um, what they should do going forward is their workmates. And once their workmates start talking to them about the union or the delegate on site walks up, that first impression is what sticks with people, so it's got to be a good one. And you just sort of, you, know, you can't force people into doing these things. They've got to be coaxed along and um, let them do it at their own speed. Just let them know we're there to help. Well, there you go. Organisers from all over the nation giving us their take on 2023. I'm Tim Brunero. Talk to you next time.